You're listening to The Grind, well-caffeinated conversations with disc golfers who are passionate about improving their games and helping others to do the same. Welcome to episode 18 of The Grind, a disc golf podcast. I'm Josiah, with me my good buddy David, and we're going to talk some disc golf. How's it going, guys? We've got a great episode lined up for you today. We have a pro tip from Juliana Corver. We're going to talk about when do you throw those overstable and high-speed drivers. And we are going to review the JK AVR. But first, David, as always, got to ask, what are you sipping on and how was your disc golf week? Nice. We're sipping on the Green World House Blend from Green World Coffee Farms and uh, the North Shore of Oahu in Hawaii. Um, yeah big thanks to christopher eplin he sent us the vultures from last week's episode and then we have his coffee that he sent us this week super generous of him um so big thanks to christopher for sending that in for sure super tasty cup of coffee josiah looked it up online we were trying to figure out what what the blend was because i assume there was some hawaiian coffee in there and it's a hawaiian it's hawaiian with a said central american that's right and, and josiah and i both had the same guess it it kind of tastes like a Guatemalan coffee that it's blending with. And it, if it wasn't a Guatemalan, I'd be surprised. But if it wasn't, I'd probably pick Colombia next. It's it's nice. It's kind of that nice everyday drinking cup. Um, not offensive at all. Kind of, I think that I think of it as Guatemala just because it has kind of that classic-y, chocolatey, nutty taste to it. Very just enjoyable, approachable, a great all-around cup. I mean, we've used clean before on the podcast with not having that... Really yeah, like I thought clean as roasted well. taste on I it. I feel like it's... the last like <laughs> six coffees we've been like it's clean, yeah. <laughs> but it has been. But uh, just a super tasty cup of coffee all around. Um, and shout out, uh, thanks so much for sending us in uh, this cup to taste. This is fantastic. Yeah, I'd never had anything from Hawaii before. At least no coffee, maybe a pineapple or something. But uh, yeah, it's fantastic. I think that it is very approachable and clean at the same time, which is tough to balance. I think as a roaster. Because a lot of times when we say approachable, you're a lot of times going to end up with a bit more of that kind of filmy, uh, bitter aftertaste. And this has a tiny bit of uh, finish to it that reminds you that it's coffee. It doesn't taste like we don't have to, you know, we don't have to tell anybody, just pretend like it's tea. No, like we can all agree this is coffee, but it is, it's good. It's clean. It's easy to drink, well-balanced. It's a fantastic cup. Yeah, for sure. So big thanks again for sending that in. If anybody else wants to send us coffee, you're more than welcome to just hit us up and we'll send you the address. But how was your disc golf week, man? Disc golf week was great, man. Kind of kicked it off with, we had this, was it, did we have a Saturday morning round together? Was that this past Saturday? Yeah, that was this past Saturday. I was super surprised that you showed up, to be honest with you. That's because I was, I had to stay in town this past weekend. My mom was out of town. My dad's a quadriplegic. And so I, my brother lives right across the street. So he was kind of taking care of him during the week. And on the weekend, I relieved him by staying with my dad over the weekend. And so because I was in town, it was easy for me to get up. And John brought me gracefully over a, a oat bar to eat and a cup of coffee in the morning. And as I woke Wait, up five minutes before we were yeah, supposed to be there. Yeah, you say it was easy. It's like <laughs> it was possible. Yeah, it was possible. And when possible. David says in town, he lives literally like 15 minutes away. <laughs> but... <laughs> maybe 10 to 12 minutes but you know there's no way that john was not gonna get me up to go play <laughs> well i was excited that you came but i you had never you hadn't replied to the text so i was like well, it was a fun round for yeah, sure it was super fun it was it was you me ryan micah 
and John. John. Yeah. Yeah, that was a fun round for sure. I think, no, no, I can't remember. Did any of us even play that great? Because I feel like I. Well, we played the game of. So our buddy Ryan Wilking has got a, you know, another big pro tournament coming up. And we don't we don't always provide enough challenge for him. So we played a game of we played doubles, but not best shot, just best score on the whole. So you and John, Mike and I, and then Ryan on his own, and it finished out you and John, Ryan, and then Mike and I. Mike and I missed some putts at the end that cost I'm surprised us. Surprised I didn't remember because we won at the end. <laughs> <laughs> I think we were all tied going into the last like three holes or something. Yep, yep. So, and then we didn't yeah. get any birdies, and you guys did. So, yep. but that was collecting. fun. That was um, fun for sure. That was super fun. Uh, then we got down to Delta on Sunday. and um, Yeah, I'm I, jealous of that. I did a lot of practice throws. Um, I definitely, there's quite a few holes that I was really trying to figure out what I wanted to do to approach in the tournament. I, there's a few that I know, they're within the distance that you want to get. And so I one thing that, I mean, Ryan I mentioned before talking to him when we had him on the podcast was like when he goes to a course, he'll just sometimes not even play a full round he'll just go to a couple holes that he really wants to practice and just practice those holes over and over again and so i've tried to have that approach while i'm playing all 18 holes <laughs> so a hybrid of that i want it all, but, I want it all. Um, so i'll kind of just unload about five or six discs trying to figure out really what i want to do on those holes and so i feel like i built a better game plan this going uh this time going around i think we have the tournament in three weeks i'm hoping to get at least one or two more practice rounds in we're actually gonna we're gonna drive down the friday before um and uh, with all five or six of us that are in the tournament yeah it's gonna be fun um and uh do a practice and stay at a cabin that night together and we're excited dude fun week of disc golf i don't think i really played that great this week but i feel like i was making enough mistakes to learn from that i feel like i was improving so (laughs) yeah, yeah it was a fun week well, that's exactly what we've been talking about the last couple of weeks is like <laughs> learn from your mistakes and For sure. that there's multiple goals. Maybe we should round. stop talking about that and start talking about how great it is, how great it is to get great. And maybe we'll actually get really good. <laughs> We're going to talk about how you score your best round ever on this there podcast. You go. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> maybe we'll do it. Uh, David, your best round ever needs to be one worse than my best <laughs> round ever. Though. <laughs> Just to be fair. That was your week, man. It was good. I, I really enjoyed our round Saturday, and then I don't think I played Sunday, but I got a few rounds in, um, morning rounds, a couple of morning rounds in this week, one at Watson and one at Palisade, actually. I played everything but the long holes in the corner there, and yeah, I've got a tournament while David's uh, traveling in Pal- at Palisade, so it's nice to get to see the layout because they just moved the holes for the layout. It's going to be pretty short and pretty attackable. There's still Palisade is still long and there's still a lot of risk, a lot of OB. So I think it will be I think there's gonna be a big scoring separation because people are gonna see these holes as birdieable and then they're also double bogeyable. So um but I think it will be a lot of fun. I'm excited about it. My game also doesn't feel incredible, but it's starting to feel like just by playing more regularly, I had taken a little bit of time to take care of some stuff but now that it's light in the mornings and i can get morning rounds in i feel like i can get those midweek rounds in and i think that really helps carry momentum of improvement when you only play like once a week or sometimes miss a weekend and only play in you know for 
the first time in two weeks, I feel like you're relearning how to do everything for a minute there. So for sure. I mean, I think it's easier because I mean, if you are making the mistakes one day, it's easier to adjust and fix those mistakes uh, a day or two later, as opposed to when it is weekend to weekend, it, it, it is harder to remember, okay, what was I doing? How do I need to adjust? And yeah. The one thing I was going to ask you about Delta, and then I can kind of bring in something I was just thinking about, but do you feel like because your game in your bag has changed that your game plan is changing for the course yes. quite a bit or that you just didn't game plan last time? Yes. Oh, definitely, definitely changing. I, I relied heavily on uh, the firebird weaving through the trees and I still will do that some. Um, I've incorporated the pyro in a couple of my shots, which I'm excited for. And actually the pyro on my forehand, um, that I'm really liking. Um, and then there's, also- there's quite a few of those like 250 to 270 foot holes that bend right mm-hmm. pretty hard after some obstacle. So I think the pyro is nice for that. And, and one of the holes, um, in particular, why I really wanted the Berg in my bag, uh, before playing the Delta tournament was that shorty, I think it's like 180, 190. Yeah. Um, I think and it's, it's like a probably six one foot tunnel, seven foot tunnel. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. But, uh, you need something that can just go dead straight for just a short distance and just drop out or at least well, not the have problem much with that fade. hole is that if you fade early or you turn early, you're done. But also if you push long, you've kind of got sometimes got an awkward putt back. So yeah. Yeah. The Berg's pretty perfect for it. It is absolutely perfect. So incorporating that in. For the most part, it's mostly just in incorporating more of the pyro in and then bringing in the Berg. Um, I'm sure that some of the placements are going to change, though, before that tournament. So, I mean, my game plan might change, but I feel like I have a pretty solid game plan walking away after this last time. The nice thing about Delta and playing some of these other local courses, too, is even if you didn't get a chance to practice the layout that it's in, we've now played most of the positions, and so we have some idea of, like, hey, on whatever it is, six, if it's deep left in the woods, it's better to bail out right and come in with a hyzer on your second shot. Whereas if it's in the short position, you really want to try to birdie it, whatever those things are. I feel like we, I feel like it'd be much harder to play a tournament like Frisco again, where you're learning the course for the first time and playing a tournament, you know, that same day or I, people play blind pretty well. Sometimes I feel like my game I'm just not there. I don't think that I, maybe it's my depth perception or what, I don't know, but. I agree with you. And I think depth perception is a huge thing. And I think also the fact playing at elevation for us, because I've noticed whenever I go anywhere outside of elevation, I mean, my distance concept really changes because I'm still using my, um, I'm blanking on what they're called. <laughs> Your range finder. <laughs> my range finder. And so I feel like I have a general concept of where I'm going to land, but it still is it's difficult it's for me to play in a layout that i've never played in well like the, the thing we have is we have a lot of courses thankfully at a similar elevation that we're at but if we go travel somewhere we're likely going to be either going down or up into the mountains and way up and so you do have your game your game comes with you but your discs do very different things yeah. i remember when i played that little one day c tier uh in illinois and i hadn't warmed up or practiced in the elevation i just went out and played just because i only had so much time i was sneaking away from my um my in-laws at christmas time i think it was the day after christmas but i just remember warming up on the putting green and being like this feels so weird the putt (laughs) the putts go so are so glidey and so easy to get to the basket but also your misses are punished because 
all of a sudden you're everything's more glidy and then throwing drives i felt like i couldn't commit fully because if you fully committed you didn't know if you could trust your disc from turning over because you're used to that disc being a little bit more stable or whatever but i do like sea level air i think it's playing in the mountains is fun playing around our elevation is fun but me being somebody who likes a flippier disc i kind of like playing at sea level where they go a little straighter longer yeah for sure anyway the other thing i was going to mention is i have been messing with the jump putt a little bit I think what happened was when we were playing horse the other day and I nailed your jump putt when you missed it, I was like, this is sometimes helpful, especially for me. I have a hard time committing on headwind putts, and I think the jump putt really lets you keep the disc flat, and so if you don't put it two nose up, I think it does let you attack headwind putts a little bit more in that circle two range, and so it is something that I don't plan on doing a lot of or step putts i should say not really jump putts i do jump putt for mostly approaches and like that 50 to 75 range but that step putt in that like 33 to 50 range but i i do notice that it doesn't go as far uh past the basket than my normal spin putt i think partially because the trajectory is a little lower on that Mm. on that step putt which i would have expected it to be the opposite problem but I'm only seeing like 20 foot comebackers usually from like a 30 or 40 foot putt or maybe even a little bit more. And I feel like, Hey, I'm, I can make those. So I don't think I'm going to break it out in the tournament, but I feel confident that if I needed to make a headwind putt that I could, I could put it on the basket. So I feel good about that. That's awesome. Yeah. I think for me, whenever I do that step putt in the headwind, um, I'm usually, my mistake is not putting enough speed or spin on it. Um, and, and leaving it up. And so it just, ends up with a very bad outcome. So one thing that I focus on when I do incorporate it in a tournament is making sure that I am putting, I'm focused on putting that speed and spin on it. And I'm definitely aiming hard towards the bottom of the basket. And I'm okay. I'm okay if I miss low. I don't want to, that's a situation that I don't want to miss high. Normally you're <laughs> like, I want to miss high because at least I know I tried. Yeah. And then when you're in the head, when you're like, it's like, just buy the basket, please. Yeah. If I could just hit metal, that'd be great. Yeah, for sure. Well, we should get into our How Did You Do That pro tip. Juliana Corver was very kind to respond to my question to her, which is, hey, what's one thing that keeps AMs and lower-level open players from leveling up their games? And Juliana Corver, she is she just won Most Improved last year for the Disc Golf Pro Tour, uh, which is funny because she's a five-time world champion. But she had never played Disc Golf Pro Tour events before, so she by default was the Most Improved because she played well and she's not only a five-time world champion in disc golf she's also got all of these uh, all-around frisbee um, championships and winners and i don't know all the terminology but i i glanced through her wikipedia page for a while and was like i don't know what this is but it sounds like she's really good with a frisbee uh, whether it's a disc or not and what she said when i asked her about leveling up our games was don't throw drivers until you can make a neutral mid range or a fairway driver fly straight. Turn to the right or turn to the left. When you have the angle control, you are ready for something faster. And so we'll start there. We talked about this in episode two, but I think it's just such a good refresh because I think that it is natural when you're starting out and you've experienced this, that unless somebody really guides you, you're going to go to the bin and be like, hey, I know destroyers go 600 feet, so I'm gonna need a destroyer. I know that the you know that's a 12 speed. This is a 14 speed. What were we joking about? A Corvette or something? A 15? What was the 15 speed we were joking about the other day? 
Dude, I don't remember. Anyway, I do think that there is this tendency to make the mistake of too fast, too early. And I think that this is reinforced for me regularly. When I was practicing for this tournament, I just noticed I just feel so much more confident and in control when I when I try to limit my bag as much as possible, or rather my throws primarily as much as possible to seven speeds and below. And I do think there I do think for me, I think I always try to go like, okay, I'm ready for race. Like I can I can throw a race at four hundred feet occasionally. I need to throw a wraith every time I need to get distance. And I don't know, I'm just finding that the ability to have confidence in your control with a slower disc is is almost always worth the 30 feet you're going to lose what do you think yeah i mean i think that's a concept so that i'm working on and i haven't really built well into my head um because my definitely my greed for trying to get distance um oftentimes especially back in outweighs um that control um and i think i mean part of it's we don't get punished on all the courses that we play on with the backhand um, and it, on the ones that we would, I would use the forehand. And so, uh, it's something I haven't had to really struggle with, I guess. And I think if I struggled with it more, um, I would have improved, I guess, quicker as a player. Um, if it's something I really had to work on and pay attention to, but I think it's something that, especially watching your game, watching Ryan Wilkins game, and also watching as my brothers like started to gain some power with his backhand, trying to figure out how to actually control that power. He's moving back to trying to have better control with his uh, T-Bird 3s and Mavericks in order to um, throw his higher speed drivers well. And so I'm, I'm still in that phase of really trying to figure out what I'm doing with my backhand. And yeah, I have a, I have a decent backhand that can get me some distance. But again, I'm... I'm really trying to figure out how to understand the angles a bit more when I am throwing under stable discs and um, whatever it might be. I mean, the essence is one in my bag that it's fun to mess around with, um, but I still don't find myself going and relying on it often as much as I would really like to um, just because I'm, I'm afraid, I guess, because I don't throw them enough. That I'm afraid of what they're going to do. And I think a big part of it is just throwing the discs that you want to throw in order to see the outcomes that you want to see so that you can feel and build that confidence when you are, whether it's a tournament or playing more competitive rounds with friends or whatever it might be, whatever it is for you. But that's definitely something that, I mean, that's a challenge for me as a player. I, I definitely, that's an area that I really need to work on actually building the concept in my head mentally. Yeah, no, and I think part of it is, I think as a forehand dominant player, someone who started forehand, the the torque that you can generate with a forehand allows you to throw much faster discs much earlier in your development without seeing as negative as results. Mm-hmm. Hole 13A at Watson, which is like a 300-foot hole right now. It's got a tree directly to your left off the tee pad, trees to the right uh, and of the basket basically with low a low hanging shot i threw a wraith on a flex a forehand flex on it and parked it yesterday and not yesterday wednesday tuesday whatever it was it was a way faster disc than i needed for the shot but i knew i could throw that with like 60 percent power on a flex and it would push left and push right and get to the basket and this maybe get into what we're going to talk about later with when do you actually use faster discs but i think 
that was basically a 60% power forehand that went 300 feet on this flex line. If I tried that with my backhand, I think I would have a, a less consistent result. I don't know. It just seems like the forehand does, because it generates more torque, you can use more faster, more stable discs with less consequences earlier. Yeah, for sure. I'd absolutely agree. I think earlier on where I was using uh, the disc that I was primarily relying on was the Archon. And it's that 11 speed as well as the Wraith, but it's more of an understable version, I guess. And the moment that I started developing more torque on my wrist, um, the Archons no longer were doing (laughs) what I wanted them to do. And instead of learning to control that with a clean release... Um, I immediately went to race and firebirds because I wanted to control my power. But really, I was controlling that torque. Um, and yeah, it, it helped control the power. But uh, torque almost on the overstable disc is almost like early cheating for power, would you yeah. say? <laughs> early yeah. cheating for power as opposed to focusing on getting that clean release. And I think I became so reliant on it as a player that when I did go down to play at um, elevation, I realized how reliant I was on that and it really kind of messed up my game and I had to focus on getting a cleaner release. Yeah, yeah. that makes total sense. So you were talking about, hey, like you like the the faster, more of a civil disc, but why are you throwing the pyro at Delta? If what's that, what's that thought process? Um, a big thing, Trees. The th- one thing that I've realized is I was relying more so at Delta on hoping to get a flare skip that kind of drags to the basket or hit a tree behind the basket that I know is there. Um, so I guess on less, pre- I was betting on less predictable outcomes. And the thing that I'm looking at as a player consistently is looking at the most predictable outcome that I can repeat, a repeatable shot. Um, and so the reason why the pyro is it has enough um, stability to handle some of the torque, but I can put it on a bit more of a floaty hyzer. Uh, One hole in particular I'm thinking about is that uh, first um, shorty tree hole in the back. Yep. Um, I usually put my flat top firebird out. exactly that hole. And and it oftentimes, I mean, I can get by the basket, but oftentimes it'll skip super hard right, and then I end up with a 40-foot putt. Yep. No, I was thinking exactly that hole when you were saying pyro. But, but uh, now with the pyro, I can put it on that slight glidey hyzer, and it just sits at the basket. And I know I can get it at the basket probably 90% of the time putting it out on that slight hyzer because it's, it's a very, very predictable shot. And the other one with the pyro, what's, what was the other one? Oh, the... Is it hole five, maybe? It's or hole hole five. Yeah, working on. Uh, uh, One of the ones I was working on with it, which I haven't decided if I am going to use it yet, is the one before the long backhand. I think it's like twelve or something. Yep. Um, I don't think it lost a tree, but for some reason the gap feels bigger to me now with the forehand, and it feels a little straighter. The pyro uh, got me there within twenty feet, and it was easy to put it on just a little hyzer and get it straight there. Um, so that was another one, but there was one other one that I was working on the pyro and I can't remember what it is, but, uh, oh yes, you're right. It was whole, uh, four. Is it four? Is it five? One, one, one short, two deep, three, uh, three is that little tunnel on the the forehand. And then yeah, four. four. Yeah. Yeah, Four is the, yeah. (laughs) 
everybody's that, that's the other everybody's one. listening yeah. in rapture as we go through so all the holes. So there's a tree there's a tree behind that basket that I relied on from my firebird just to slam in the tree and sit by the basket. And I can hit that tree probably 50% of the time and it, before I was okay with that. But I think the pyro I can probably hit that gap 70% of the time and land by the basket and if it's giving me a higher percentage I think it's a no-brainer for me to move to that shot. And so those it are kind of... It is hole five. Yeah. Oh, it is? <laughs> is there another one? Yeah, so... Uh, oh, yeah. Okay. Th- I, yeah. <laughs> All right. Yep. So, Every, everybody was really concerned about <laughs> this. <Yeah. laughs> well, when, when you were talking about that, I think that you brought up like, hey, consistency. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the reason I like throwing slower discs. I can throw, for example, I can throw an Envy usually between like let's say 270 and 290 on but normally i'd be in like like 270 to 280 range on the on a throw let's say a straight envy throw and i think i can get the distance like plus or minus 10 feet when i go to a wraith some throws i get it 300 feet and some throws i get it 400 feet you know because i'm not a super reliably consistent am and I think the faster the disc, the greater the margin for error mm-hmm. on the throw, both left to right in terms of, hey, how much turn you're going to get, how much fade you're going to get, how much skip you're going to get, but also distance. And so I feel like at Palisade, I was playing with uh, some holes, I'm thinking hole 7, hole 14, that are about 400, and 400 to 425 feet. And I can, I, I can, in theory, get there with a wraith on a good throw, but I was throwing seven speed discs to a landing zone and it was just taking all the stress out of the shot because I knew I was going to get a big skip. I knew about where it was going to land and I knew my upshot was going to be fairly, I don't know, fairly routine. Whereas if I threw a wraith, I'd have no idea. I'd love to say, I, yeah, I was going to be within 50 feet of the basket, but I'd have no idea really where it was going to be and what my upshot was going to look like. And I think it is that reliability and consistency. And I think as you gain power and consistency as pros, it's a little bit more, it's a little easier to throw the faster disc, but I don't, the the pros are going to tend towards slower disc when they can as well. It's not like you ever get to the point where, oh, well, a seven speed is beneath you or something. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think the hard thing as an amateur, I think in order to get, in order to improve as a player throwing those lower speed discs, and we've talked about before, um, and getting that consistency, that's kind of where you find your center or your center of gravity that you talk about in sports. Like, that's your center. Um, it's just so easy, the temptation as a player with, and again, this is kind of going back to my forehand relation to, I feel like, okay, I know I can control, I'm not going to turn this disc over um, if I just go, if I start throwing a uh, firebird or a wraith on this. I know I'm not going to turn it over. I know it's going to end up over here on the right, and that's where I want to end up. And so it, the temptation is there. Um, and I think... Uh, Which we'll get into it later, but I think at times that's the, okay, that's, mm-hmm. especially when you have an open hole. Yeah, and especially if you want to end up on the right side or whatever it might be. But but you were saying, sorry to interrupt. interrupt. No, I, and I think having the opportunity to play holes that are shorter... Um, and you are dealing with uh, smaller gaps through the trees, whatever it might be, really gives you the opportunity to actually have to build these concepts into your head. Because, um, I mean, I think about, I mean, uh, Saltwash is one that is a great opportunity to, and I've, at Saltwash oftentimes, I have um, just 
cheated and gone with my forehand the whole time because I know I can control a disc on the forehand through these uh, little uh, <laughs> shots in the trees when I should when I should have been working on my back end more th- on those shots. Well, salt wash has the one the real big benefit to me is that the landing zones require precision with the angle mm-hmm. and speed you come into on a lot of those holes. And so I think it's a good teacher. It's just a short local yeah. course. One thing Juliana Corver said was she's talking about, hey, first, learn how to throw neutral mids, learn, learn how to throw fairways. And then she says, and slower is better. For the most part, I think it's better to throw the slowest disc you can that will reach your target. People usually have a better line when they throw hard and a, an error or line or angle with a slow disc will be much less pronounced at the end of the flight than the same error with a sharp edge disc. Mm-hmm. I think that kind of goes to what we were saying earlier, but I think it's worth repeating is that the the shape of the disc obviously affects the flight in the air and the ground play. And a faster disc, what you're going to end up with, depending on the you won't necessarily always see it based on your arm speed, but a faster disc is going to have more pronounced turn and more pronounced fade than a slower disc of the similar stability. And so what that means a lot of times is you're not going to have as reliable of a shot. It's going to be harder to throw a straight line. And the, the big the biggest thing to me is what the angle the disc finishes on you have a little bit less knowledge about what that's going to be, and it's an exaggerated uh, movement after that. Uh, you might get a huge skip. You might get a spike hyzer, and that that degree of, you know, you can, you've mastered it with your Firebird, but it is something that I think for most people, you don't necessarily know what that ground play is going to look like as much with a um, high-speed disc. I think about, uh, once again, we always talk about holes in our local courses, but 13A again, it's it's one that, at Watson, it's one that's a 300-foot shot. I can get there with a mid, but it's tough. But the nice thing about throwing a mid or even a putter on that hole is that I don't have to worry about going in the creek. And I've thrown a lot of Frisbees into that creek. And it's the fact is, is that I know that that disc is going to land mostly flat and it's not going to have a lot of skip and it's going to want to come to a stop. So I do like what she's saying here, like that the, you're really minimizing your error on a lot of shots. Yeah. I honestly think, I mean, that's a shot that I think of that I feel like all of us should be working on our buzz shots there. It's the perfect shot to throw your buzz. Um, and no, and with knowing that you're not going to, I think we all lost a disc on that hole this past couple of weeks. <laughs> Or you can take the alternative route, which is this like six foot in diameter hole in the tree that I threw my servo on uh, Saturday morning. Do you remember that shot? So it's basically like to the right of the basket and it's a six foot in diameter hole. But if you hit it, the disc will like finish and then it'll finish left like basically under the basket. And I feel confident in hitting that hole. I don't know what it is, but I feel very confident that I'm going to hit the hole. But if you miss it, you are going to go in the creek. Yeah, yeah. Um, so we, we talked about in numerous episodes, Hey, throw slower discs, but I think it would be good to talk about when you should throw a faster disc and what are those situations that it makes sense because there's a reason pros bag all kinds of discs from the slower discs to the fastest discs. You bag a Berg, which is like one of the slowest discs imaginable and you bag a destroyer and there's, there's good reasons to have both those in your bag. So we can just talk through like what are some re- what are some situations or shots shot shapes that you would say yeah I want a faster disc. 
for sure. I mean, I think the faster disc at times, I mean, when I'm stepping up, like one of the th- first discs that I step up to if I'm moving towards a faster disc is a nine speed with the Firebird. That's when I'm wanting to control, maybe put it on an any angle and get, there was one hole in Austin at, uh, um, I'm blanking on what the course's name was. It's not um, Roy the G. Met Center. Oh, the, the Met, Met Center. Center. Yeah. Um, that being able to have this, um, like an, this anti flex shot through the trees, and have a predictable. I know I can put it on anti, and it's going to make its way left, and then it's going to fade right and f- sit in the fairway. Um, that's really the type of disc that you need to throw. That's the best oppor- That's going to give me the best opportunity for success. Um, that fade is actually helpful because it's a more reliable way to get that full flex shot. Yep. And then the other one for me, uh, going for the hyzers. If I'm going for a hyzer route, I typically, I don't throw understable this very often on a hyzer going wide unless I'm wanting something more glidey. But I, I throw a spike hyzer often with my forehand and my backhand. Um, and it's just a very predictable shot. And I know I can repeat it. And I do that with my um, Halo Wraith and my uh, Flat Top Firebird often. And so that's, I guess, when I'm beginning to move up into those discs. Basically, I'm rebuilding a concept in my head as we continue to, I guess, improve as players. Because basically where I started was, if I can throw my Firebird, I'm going to throw my Firebird. No matter what it is, that's what I'm going to throw because I I feel the most confident throwing it, whether it's a hyzer, a flex shot, a skip shot, whatever it is. If I can get to that, I want to do it. And I... I love that that pyro was introduced to me because I feel like it was kind of the first like mid-range backhand disc and forehand disc for me that really began to force new concepts into my head. Because it can do some things that the buzz couldn't do. Yes, agreed. And so that's really, I feel like the pyro is really beginning to help me as a player. And I'm not saying it's the pyro specifically for any player. It could be Whatever it is, uh, mid-range disc for you, but this is one that specifically has like really helped me begin to understand concepts. It has enough tor- uh, stability on it that I could handle a little torque, and so I don't have to worry about turning it over like I do the buzz sometimes. And so I guess it gives me more of a mar- less, or I guess less margin of error when I'm going through the trees, or if I'm having an. I think it would shot. be more margin of error. I don't know how that works. Yeah. But I feel better about it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so I would honestly attest to the pyro and the Berg is another one that I'm enjoying the Berg because I love how the Berg drops out. I feel like, I mean, even with your mid range with the pyro, it's going to get a little skip. It's not as significant as a high speed driver. The fact that the Berg just drops out on you and you know that even my worst mistake isn't going to be an absolute terrible mistake because it it can't go that far. (laughs) Well, and it especially doesn't want to go far left to right. So you can kind of throw it in any way and it just is going to go straight and then die out. So I feel like the bird kind of helps you in a sense build from the ground up as far as I want to start here. If I can throw the bird, I'm going to throw the bird. If I can't throw the Berg, if I need to get more distance or whatever the shot might be, um, then I'm going to move to the zone or the pyro. And if I can't throw those, if I need some understability, throwing the buzz. And I think if if you're beginning at the beginning and working up, it's a better foundation. Again, I was, as a player, I was 
beginning at my Firebird. And if I could start here, then I'll kind of move either way, depending on. And so I feel like it's giving me a better framework as a player beginning at that one speed disc yeah. with my, and it's something that I hadn't really processed through until talking right now. This is great. Yeah, no, that makes total sense. I hadn't thought about it that way either. I think that because I like throwing putters, that's probably naturally how I've developed, but especially since I've been bagging the Berg, and then also I think because the Envy goes so far, there's a lot of times where I'm like, well, why would I throw anything but a putter? Yeah. I think getting back to why throw faster discs, they do go further most of the time. If you have a similar stability and you have the arm speed for it, you can usually get a little bit more distance. I think when you need a skip shot, whether it's a short shot or you need to skip at the end of your throw, I think a faster disc is helpful. I totally agree on the like on a spike hyzer. I think a, a faster disc gets more distance and has a more reliable flight pattern sometimes than a slower disc. I think it's just, you know, it doesn't get necessarily a glidier disc, a more neutral disc will sometimes get you more movement left to right because it can glide out like you were saying rather than just die out or or dump out but um i think wind is a good one as well there's times where i think a faster disc in the wind especially headwind is helpful because it cuts through it a little better it's less affected i don't think you have to throw a fast disc in any head every headwind and i'm i'm learning personally that oh it's still if you can get clean releases a slower disc with a lot of spin is sometimes a better play because you still have a less little less margin for error. But I do think, yeah, faster disc cuts through the wind better. I don't know. I think I think there's probably a lot of good reasons to have them. I think for me, primarily, what I use my faster discs for would be, like if you talk about an Onyx first, um, being kind of that step up from a fairway driver, I definitely think a reliable fade at the end of the flight that you can you can push the disc really hard and then know that as long as you give it a little bit of height, you're going to get that reliable fade is sometimes helpful. A slower disc will have less fade a lot of times, which means you will, at the same distance, you may have a little bit less reliability. We have a hole at Palisade where I'm playing the tournament, um, hole 15, that has OB left, OB right, but you're throwing over OB the whole way until the end. And if you throw too straight of a disc, you have a, you have a good chance of staying OB right. Now, same reason I don't throw a Wraith is because if you throw too fast with this, you're going to have a skip. So um, I think that Wraiths I primarily use would be, distance would be the first one. Hey, if I can't reach it with a slower disc. And the second one would be, I think, getting that um, reliable fade. You were saying, hey, I, I want to make sure that I stay on the right-hand side. For me, it would be the left-hand side. A lot of times I can do that with a faster disc. And I also, you know, I was saying earlier about the flex shot, and you mentioned the flex shot. I do think that a faster disc is going to give you more left to right movement, and sometimes that is helpful. Sometimes that straight shot is suboptimal because there's something in your way. Um, what else? Anything else that you can think sense. of? One thing that I was thinking of uh, it, in your game, I don't think, I can't think of a disc in your bag, but as far as high speed drivers go, do you have any understable discs? that are high-speed drivers? Yeah, so I throw like a Pro Wraith, which okay. is really beaten up, which is pretty understable. And then that free tail is like a 10-speed. So they're both pretty fast. Okay. I just, that's one thing, I guess the most understable high-speed driver I have is that uh, Glow Wraith in my bag. And I can get that to go straighter for longer, but it still has some stability to it and predictability to it. Just thinking as an amateur, the higher-speed understable discs don't, I guess I really haven't, 
like built a place in my bag as far as an amateur goes, I would understand how a pro can control that and create some fun like bomb shots with them. I think the thing with the pros is that they have the power to take and and they use their disc enough to take a stable disc and beat it up to the point that it's slightly understable. And I think they don't really need a lot of times if they need an understable disc, they can throw something more neutral and slower and, you know, like a, for example, you know, like a leopard three or mm-hmm. whatever those things are to get that shot. And if they need a, you know, I, I don't think that the understable high speed disc for the bigger arms is got much place in the bag. I think for an AM, it's kind of it's the opportunity to get the most distance possible because you can put it on a hyzer flip, get a big turn and some fade, get a full flight. But I am always challenged because I can throw a crave almost as far as I can throw a pro wraith. Pro Wraith has more distance potential. Like I've never thrown a Crave unless it's downhill 400 feet. I've thrown a Wraith 400 feet. But I just, I don't know. It just seems to me like that high speed understable disc is like the extreme of the lack of reliability. Yeah, for sure. So there is some question of like how often would you need it? Now let's say at Delta during the tournament, I birdied, I almost birdied, the long backhand 12, I think it is 13 with the pro wraith on that shot because I got it to stand up and go straight for a really long time and fade. It faded. It went too straight. If it had faded a little earlier, I think I would have been parked and then 13, the next hole, which is a long par four. I got the pro wraith to hold the turn a really long time then flatten out and go straight. And I threw over 400 feet and had an easy upshot for the birdie. So there are times that I think it's worth having it in the bag, but it's going to be few and far between when I'm actually going to pull it out now because i just i just have realized that the birdie potential is so low at that 425 foot range that i'm stre- i'm stressing the shot out quite a bit because i know there's a 98% chance i'm not going to get there even if i get the distance am i going to be around the basket so i don't know i don't i still carry one and i think it's useful i just don't think it's something to rely on yeah i think back to the palisade tournament earlier this year i had three double bogeys within those three rounds, all three of them were because of trying to throw the high speed Wraith, uh, on an Annie to try to get max distance and ending into a up headwind <laughs> into a headwind. The two of them were into a headwind. Um, but all three times turning it over and ending up in very, very, very bad situations. <laughs> and so, yeah, there's, I think in general, if I had disc down and just tried to throw straight and flat, um, would have been a much better outcome. Yeah, so I I would say in general, like if you're building your bag, I think I would start with your putting putter, your throwing putter, which certainly can and maybe should be the same disc early on and maybe forever, a neutral mid, a neutral fairway, learn to control those. And then I think that as you build up the speed of your bag and you get to that 9 speed, that 11 speed, that 12 speed, whatever it is, I would just be very careful not to pigeonhole yourself to, oh, I can... It's a 320-foot hole, and I can only throw a fairway 300 feet, so I'm going to move up to a distance driver. Well, you can still get a putt with your fairway, and maybe more reliably. And, and to try to think about, hey, what's, what's the disc that I can throw with the most control for this, most reliably, like you're talking about? Hey, if I've got to pump my fairway and throw like my body out to try to get to the hole, well, maybe I should be throwing a faster disc. Because I'm, I can throw with, I can throw at eighty percent and get there with a little bit faster disc. Uh, but on the flip side, if you can get to putting range with a slower disc and 
you know, the shot calls for it, I think that's a much better place to be, even if it means you're not going to ace or park the hole. I, I mean, I feel like Delta is the perfect example for me with my forehand shots because I talked about switching to the pyro on three of the shots. There's one hole in particular that drove me crazy because it's, I think the hole's got to be 260 feet. It's the hole just before the long backhand drive. Yep. And uh, I could not birdie it for the life of me. I, I did get it once in the tournament, and that's because I got a lucky skip with my Firebird trying to flex it through there. But I rely so much on my Firebird of trying to do this little flex shot through there as opposed to disking down and being okay with finishing it's, short and getting that 20-foot putt. It's too straight of a shot for the Firebird. Yeah, right? exactly. It's yep. way too straight of a shot for the Firebird, and I'm forcing it. Because I know I can hit the gap with the Firebird, I'm trying to force it. Um, and so, yeah, uh, again, eternally grateful for uh, the Pyro and how it's began to adjust and adapt my game, I feel like. Yeah, and grateful to Juliana Corver for sending in this pro tip. We are uh, going to hop into a disc review. Time for the What Was That Disc Review? This week's What Was That Disc Review is sponsored by 1010 Discs. Big thanks to 1010 for sponsoring this disc review. They have beautiful pictures of their discs. They have free shipping over $60 and just $3.50 flat rate shipping for any orders under 60 and they have great prices, so go check them out. Let them know the podcast sent you by using the coupon code THEGRIND5 to get 5% off your first order. And we've got Juliana Corver's own JK AVR, which is a two-speed, three-glide, zero-turn, and two-fade. Is that right? Yeah, yeah got it. <laughs> I don't have it in front of me right now. Putter. What did you think of it, David? Uh Overall, I liked it. I'm a fan. Um, I was telling, I texted Josiah and I said, it kind of gives gives me the feeling I can do the, all the things with it that I could with my Luna. I feel like I could throw it pretty straight and it has a little bit of a predictable finish to it. But I also, if I want to put on an Annie and put a little um, kind of torque it a little bit, I can get it to turn over and kind of hold that line. And uh, and I'm not sure which what's the plastic on this one that I was throwing. So the JK AVR is its own plastic of oh. the AVR X mold. So okay. uh, Juliana Corver was looking for a little less stiff plat- uh, putter when she came to Innova back in the day, and so they developed the plastic for her. So I don't know what the it's it's D line plastic that's a little softer. I don't know or okay. D, DX plastic that's a little softer. I don't know what the specific blend is. But yeah, it was fun to throw. I feel like predictable and you can also have a little fun with it with throwing some anheuser shots and whatnot yeah i it's a beaded putter uh it is the avr mold with a bead i think that it feels somewhat similar to the wizard but not exactly the same it's a little bit deep but not too deep i felt it felt good in hand nothing nothing i don't know nothing offensive about it at all i feel like i could get used to it really quickly i thought it was pretty glidey i thought it had quite a bit of glide, a little bit more than I expected because I'm so used to throwing wizards. And I think wizards have a little bit less glide and it'll take a little bit more oomph to get them to go anywhere than the than the JK. I liked it. It it felt good on putts. I putted with it. I played it just a JK AVR round um, and putted with it some and I thought it putted well. Once again, it was a little glidier than I was used to, so I was missing high, but that's not the worst thing. It it seems like a good straight disc, but I don't I don't think it's overstable. I don't know if that two fade is real. It is stable, but it doesn't feel overstable to me. It's not maybe as 
stable as a fresh wizard. Uh, and maybe part of that is the glide. But I'd agree. Turnover shots and straight shots, I think it excels at. I really liked it for the turnover. I think that glide held it, helped it carry that Annie um, for a long way. I feel like if you were looking for a putter and you liked a little bit of a softer plastic, then I do think this would be a great option both for putting and throwing. Yeah, I like the bead on the bottom. Um, I'd say it's, it's that the bead gives you the feeling of the wizard, but there's definitely this lip in between that kind of gives you, it's a groove, I guess. That it, I mean, it does feel nice on the finger. Yeah, the, if I, the wizard is a little bit more rounded on the bottom, I think, yeah. compared to the, the JK Aviar, which goes maybe, maybe a little bit more beveled. I honestly feel like if I wasn't so used to the wizard, um, if I had been introduced to the AVR, uh, if this, this JK AVR earlier on, I would have enjoyed how my finger just kind of fits along the groove because it does feel nice. Yeah, no, I totally agree. And I think, honestly, feel is such a big part of, especially a putting putter, but even a throwing putter as well. And I think it's worth trying. I know, you know, it's not a putter that you hear a lot of people putting with now. I think, you know, Conrad used to putt and drive with it. And when he went to MVP, maybe a lot of people went to MVs and Nomads and that sort of thing. But I... I think it's great. I, I could easily see myself bagging it if I didn't already own too many other uh, throwing putters. And, you know, a review with a putter, it's kind of like, hey, it goes straight, it's gliding, it goes far, it feels nice. That's kind of a lot of what you can give. I mean, a lot of putters are going to be similar. But I think for me, the key things would be it's beaded, it's got a medium depth to it, maybe slightly deeper than medium depth. It is very straight and pretty long for a throwing putter and i think feeling the hand is important the plastic is softer than some but it doesn't feel like flimsy in your hand or anything like that the rim is stiff enough that i feel like you can feel like you've got some control over the disc anything else on the jk avr i know it's fast but it is a pretty straightforward disc yeah i know i liked it our rating system is david and i each give it a score of one through five and then score our sum our scores to ten one is it's just not that great of a disc. Two is it's an okay disc, but there's better options out there. Three is it's a good disc, but it just doesn't stand out. Four is it's a fantastic disc, but it's not going to make my bag. And five is it's making the bag. So, David, what's your rating? I think I'm going to three here. I think it's a good disc. I think there's other discs like it that I have really enjoyed. I mean, the Luna being one of them that I would naturally gravitate towards. And I could see somebody really falling in love with this disc and relying on it both for putting and for throwing. So I definitely think it has its place. I mean, I think it's not necessarily for me, but I could see how people would fall in love with this one. Yeah, for sure. I'm going to give it a three as well. And I think it's it's a good disc. And I think if the feel uh, works for you, then I think you're going to love it. And I think the fact is, if five-time world champion Juliana Corver loves it and James Conrad loved it until he he left innova sorry innova uh and he upgraded to the envy i mean what uh but, but if uh you know conrad there's a good reason for it and i do think that if you like a little bit of a softer plastic it is a really nice plastic and a nice disc so that's a six out of ten which is a good score for a good disc so if you would like to order a jk avr or five and support juliana corver or if you got any other disc you need to try out, check out 1010discs.com and use the promo code THEGRIND5. That is the grind with the number five. David, before we finish our episode, we've been talking about building our best disc golfer. And last week, we talked about forehand upshots and backhand drives under 500 feet. 
So what we'll do is forehand drives under 400 feet and all-out backhand distance. Who are going to be your pros? Let's start with uh, forehand under 400 feet. Forehand under 400? Oh, man. I'm going to go. Who have I used? I can't use the same ones. You can. It's fine. Forehand under 400. All right, I'm gonna go okay. Sexton. Sexton. Okay. I'm just gonna just. You're just gonna take it from me. I'm just gonna take him from you. Okay. I was thinking about Ulibarri on this one. I know. I think you used Ulibarri at one point for upshots. For, yeah. But I. Oh, for upshots. Okay. I agree with that. Um, yeah, I like him with a forehand on in a shorter distance range. I feel like he has fantastic control with that zone and. and he throws his, the raptor his, as throws well. His raptor as well. Yeah. Yeah. No, and I think he's good at throwing understable discs as well. Kind of like coaling. I think in that 350 to 400 range, he may struggle a little bit compared to some of the bigger forehands, but I think under 350, he's going to be solid for you. I'm going to go Sexton, like I mentioned. I think it's kind of self-explanatory, but you know, if you can imagine David, but much better at disc golf. <laughs> a little bit. I, he, probably, he probably does have the perspective of, I'm going to throw a firebird unless I can't. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's where I got it from. Maybe, but, um, but yeah, I'm going to go Nate Sexton. And I think that that either way you could you could go with a few players, but Nate Sexton under four hundred feet, I think, gonna be solid there. Okay, all out distance backhands. There's some good options there. All out distance backhands. I mean, are we wanting some control in there or just distance? Well, you already have gotten your under five hundred, so this would just be somebody this, from five hundred to okay, seven hundred. I'm just gonna go Lazat here. Yeah, Lazat's super fun. I feel like Lazat's willing to take the risk for the reward. And I feel like there's not a whole lot of players that will do that. And he gets burned for that sometimes. But uh, he's one of the ones that if somebody's going to make a ridiculously incredible, crazy shot over 500 feet, Lazat's going to do it. Yeah. Yeah. I think Lazat, especially if his elbow gets back to 100%, is a fantastic choice. And he's got all the power. There was a recent tournament that he landed in a landing zone. I can't remember where it was. And they said, oh, this is where this is where bogeys come from. And from there, he parked it by the basket. <laughs> I, I, I don't think he parked it. It was like 35 feet. But for Lazat, it felt parking. From where he was, it was just mind-blowing. Yeah. And Lazat uh, throwing at 70% power is still ridiculous. I, I, I was thinking Drew Gibson, but I honestly think that he has all the power in the world and the control, but I think he may have been a better choice from that under 500. I'll go I'll go McMahon. I'll go the other crush boy. I think McMahon has... like He and Lozada are right there in terms of power, and I think that he has maybe a little bit of a smarter power. <laughs> I'd say that he's a little bit smarter. He takes less risk. But I guess we're not actually talking about the mental game, just the shot. But yeah. I'll take I'll take McMahon and I think I'll I'll just, you know, foreshadow that I may want McMahon for the ba- the deep, deep forehand if he can get his elbow healed as well yeah. or his arm healed as well, but I think that's a solid a Look, solid disc golfer. Dude, Gossage is getting up there with those deep forehands, man. It's He's been pretty impressive with what he's been. Shout pumping out to Valley Local. I think he's like 13th ranked right now. The Disc Golf Pro Tour. Oh, that's sick. Aaron Gossage. If you haven't seen him play, he has ridiculous power, and he's just a fun player to watch. And he's a super nice guy. Yeah. We're hoping to have him on the podcast maybe in June sometime when they're rolling back through town. Anyway, that's the episode this week. 
Thank you to our patrons for supporting the show. If you would like to get bonus content and listen to an extra mini podcast every week, you can become a patron, join our Patreon at patreon.com slash thegrinddg. You'll get access to all 18 of our uh, Second Cup mini podcasts from day one. And we would love if you would support the show, make this sustainable for us. We're loving recording and we're going to keep doing it. If there's anything we can do for you, let us know. And always, whether it's coffee or disc golf, don't forget to enjoy the grind.